Now, if you'll please turn in your Bibles to 1 John chapter 4, Brother David Lehman will read from that scripture. Tonight is from 1 John chapter 4, verse 1. Beloved, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits, whether they are of God, because many false prophets have gone out into the world. Some of you may have had a similar experience like the one I'm about to describe. A man received an email with a very interesting message in the email. It was from the United Nations Compensation Commission, UNCC. There was a very official looking address attached to the email. And the subject line went something like this, R.E., your long overdue compensation fund. Now, should a warning signal be going off in the man's brain just about this time? I won't repeat all the details about that story, but this fund, fund was holding seven and a half million dollars that rightfully belonged to the man who was receiving the email. And all he had to do in order to get that money released was to verify, notice, verify the information that the fund already possessed by providing his full name, address, gender, occupation, telephone number, marital status, age, and a copy of his ID. That's all he had to do. He must have laughed when they told him it was to, quote, enable us to serve you better. Deceptions, scams, cheating people. Sadly, those are very much a part of the world we live in today. And there is no telling how many unsuspecting people have lost money to such deceptions. But truthfully, I want to tell you tonight, those are not the worst deceptions because those who are deceived spiritually lose a lot more. They don't lose money, they lose their souls. This is not the kind of thing that we really need, like to think about. And, and truthfully, it's not the kind of thing that I really enjoy preaching about. But it's too important to ignore here are three matters that I think deserve our attention. First of all, we have the challenge to distinguish. You see, spiritual deception is not a new thing. In fact, it's as old as the time of our first ancestors. And the devil did a masterful job of deceiving Eve into believing that what God had forbidden Adam and her was really unfair to them. God was not looking out for their best interest. In fact, the devil wanted her to understand that what was forbidden from them was to keep them from really being like God. You'll be able to see things the way God said, and God's keeping you from that, and she was mildly speaking, thoroughly deceived. 
As you read through the Old Testament, you see that there were many false prophets, many men who got up and claimed to be speaking from God prophetically, uh, telling people what God wanted them to do, and they were not true prophets. They were deceivers. When you come to the New Testament, Jesus warns his disciples more than one time about the possibility of deception. In Matthew 24 and verse 4, he said this, Take heed that no one deceives you. And then in verse 11 of that same 24th chapter, he adds, Many false prophets will rise up and deceive many. Do you see that? Many false prophets will deceive many people. When you continue reading through after the Gospels, uh, in the letters written by Paul and Peter and James and Jude and John, there are all references to deceitful teaching, falseness in teaching. And so it's easy to come to the conclusion we can be deceived. And if we can be deceived, then we need to be careful not to be deceived. The challenge for all people, including you and me, is to distinguish between what's true and what's not true, what's right and what's not right. I'm going to expand on that in just a few minutes, but before I do, let's note this. And that is the character of those deceivers. Listen to what John writes in 1 John 2. If you have your Bible, I'd like for you to open it, please. 1 John 2. 1 John 2, and beginning at verse 18. N notice the, the regard that John has, the concern he has as he addresses these Christians as little children. It is the last hour. And as you have heard that the Antichrist is coming, even now many Antichrists have come, by which we know that it is the last hour. They went out from us, but they were not of us. For if they had been of us, they would have continued with us. But they went out that it might be made manifest they were, that none of them were of us. John uses that word antichrist. But he also uses the term many antichrist, M-A-N-Y, many antichrist. It, it's... Uh, common for people to get excited when they hear the word antichrist and they immediately see in their minds a sinister figure maybe a world leader maybe a past president or a present president or a future president who is going to rise up from hell to fight against God's people and and when they heard the, hear that term antichrist they immediately connect it to the book of revelation ignorant of the fact that the word doesn't even appear in the book of Revelation. John is the only one who uses that word, both in the singular and the plural, and he does it here in chapter 2 and chapter 4. He does it uh, once in 2 John 2. And so John is the only one, and he doesn't really use it a lot, four or five times at the very most. What about that word, antichrist? Well, literally, it means against Christ. An antichrist is one who is against Christ. Who is against Christ? John says many 
Many are against Christ. There are many who oppose Christ. And, and when you stop and analyze that a little bit more, would that term not also apply to anyone who works against what Jesus taught and what he stood for? Not, not just Jesus himself, but the things that represent Jesus in his teachings and in his life. Verse 19 of that chapter that I just read to you says, They went out from us, but they were not of us. We may not understand everything that's implied in that, but we do know in John's day there were defectors from the faith. People like Demas, who, whose life when he left, whether he was teaching false doctrine or not, his life contradicted Christ. Because he had claimed to be a follower of Christ, he had been a disciple of Christ, a, a teacher of some merit, and now he isn't anymore because he loves the world. We recall Paul's warning to the Ephesian elders in Acts 20. He meets them in the little place of Miletus. And, and while he is talking to them, he says in verse 30 of Acts 20, Also from among yourselves will men rise up speaking perverse things to draw away the disciples after them. That would be deception. To, to lead them away from Christ and the truth so that they might be followers of men. Sad, but true. Where did the apostasy begin? Within the church. Paul says, from among yourselves, there will be men who will rise up and they'll lead people astray. They will be deceivers. And when one studies the history of the early church, he finds that the errors that were introduced into church life and belief were propagated by people who claimed to be a part of the church. And, and even when the church had reached a de greater degree of apostasy and was hardly recognizable as the church, the people who were compounding and, and, and producing new doctrines that were not biblical doctrines claimed to be friends of Jesus. John said they were not of us. If they had been of us, he said, they would have remained with us. Today, teachings that split churches and lead people into false worship and other practices that are against Christ come from men who claim to be following Christ. They are deceivers. And that's what John says in verse 26. They are deceivers. There is at least one translation that uses the term seduce to describe what these antichrists were trying to do. They want to seduce you. You see, a deceiver is not somebody who's honestly mistaken. We know that when one studies the scriptures, he can be mistaken. And he can be honestly mistaken. But these that John is talking about are not honestly mistaken. They have either ignored the truth so that they could teach something that wasn't the truth, or they have changed the truth in order to manipulate people with the change. 
Remember that Peter writes in 2 Peter 3.16 of those who twist the truth to their own destruction. And sadly, these antichrists who twist the truth, whether they are past antichrist or present antichrist, whoever they are, they take others with them to eternal punishment. I don't want to stop at that point because we need to also think about the correct defense. What is the correct defense against deceivers? How can we make sure that we're not deceived? What are we to do? Let's think about what John encourages readers to do here. David read from 1 John 4 verse 1. And in that verse, John says, Beloved, do not believe every spirit. Don't believe everything you hear. That's the starting point. Now, John is not, please understand, not trying to encourage Christians to be cynical. Not, not encouraging them to be moat hunters. But he is encouraging them to be careful. There's a difference between being cynical and constantly critical and being careful in what you believe. And so John really is saying to these disciples, don't be gullible. Don't be taken in. A teacher of the truth should not mind you comparing what he teaches with the scriptures. Remember in Acts the 17th chapter and the 11th verse, we're told about Paul being in Berea. And of the Bereans, Luke records, these were more fair-minded than those in Thessalonica in that they received the word with all readiness and searched the scriptures daily to find out whether these things were so. To whom was that written as far as their searching the scripture? Who was the speaker? Who was the teacher? That was Paul. Paul the Apostle. And if it was okay to check out what Paul said, it certainly is right to check out anything that is said from this pulpit or in any classroom. Incidentally, it's, I think it's interesting that the next verse of Acts 17, verse 12, tells us, therefore many of them believed. How did that happen? How did their faith come? By checking out what Paul said compared to what the scriptures taught. Secondly, John says, not only to beware, to take heed, don't believe everything you hear, but he says, test the spirits, that is the teachers, whether they are from God. Now, in order to do that, you have to learn the word of God in order to compare what is said with what is written in the Bible. You're not going to be able to test any teacher of anything if you don't know the truth and have the ability to compare what is said with that truth. So that means believers have a responsibility. Hearers have a responsibility in not being deceived. Yes, there's a heavy, there's going to be a heavy penalty for the deceiver, but those who are deceived are not always innocent. And, and when they engage in error, it doesn't make any difference if they're innocent or ignorant or 
accepting without checking, the end result is the same. They don't follow the truth if they're deceived. The better you know God's word, the better equipped you will be able to defend against error. Thirdly, be aware that there are false teachers. You see, some people would like to believe that there really aren't any false teachers anymore. That, that was just a biblical thing. That was just during a certain time. Listen to the sobering words of Peter in 2 Peter 2, verse 2. In his day, he says, of false teachers, and many will follow their destructive ways by, because of whom the way of truth will be blasphemed. Peter would, would tell his readers that there were false teachers in verse 1 and there will be false teachers. And those who think that those who false teachers only live in the past make it very easy to be deceived in the present. You know, the, the things that we need to be cautious about if we think there aren't any, we'll not be cautious about. And think of the damage that is done. Peter says many will follow their destructive ways. Many will follow them because of whom the way of truth will be blasphemed. How tragic that the way of truth then becomes something that is spoken against. I want you to note one more step that John mentions. It's found in the last two verses of 1 John chapter 2. Verses 28 and 29. And now, little children, abide in him, that when he appears we may have confidence and not be ashamed before him at his coming. If you know that he is righteous, you know that everyone who practices righteousness is born of him. I think I would call this the perfect defense. What's the perfect defense? Two things. Abide in him and practice righteousness. And if you abide in him, if you're really in Christ and you're all in for that fellowship and that discipleship, and if you practice righteousness, no deceiver is going to be able to lead you astray. You will not let it happen. I'm going to close tonight with this thought. In order for you to abide in Christ, it's obvious you have to be in Christ first. You can't abide in one in whom you are not. Are you in Christ? All, all people since the day of Pentecost have entered Christ exactly the same way. Haven't been any exceptions. Every person who has entered Christ has put their faith in Christ as the Son of God and has turned away from their sins and repentance and confessed His name and been baptized for the remission of His sin. That's how people are in Christ. The worst deception, someone has said, is self-deception. And, and we're fearful for those who have deceived themselves into believing that a half-hearted Christianity is good enough to get you to heaven. We can deceive ourselves. I'm doing good enough. I don't have to do any better. I, I don't really have to live the, the fully committed Christian life. That's self-deception. And it will result 
in tragedy. Tonight, if you need to respond to the invitation, if we can help you either to put on Christ or come back to Christ to be a faithful disciple again, we'd like to do it. And if you need to come, please do it while we're standing and singing.